The Irish Times Inside Politics podcast is going to be holding another live event. This one is in central Dublin on Thursday, May the 16th at 8am. We are going to be in Medley in Dublin too. We only have a few tickets left, so if you want to join me in conversation with head of Ipsos polling in the US, Cliff Young, along with Pat Leahy and Jennifer Bray, looking at the polling in Ireland in the run-up to the European and local elections, just go to irishtimes.com slash events where you can get your tickets. It's Wednesday, January the 31st, and you're very welcome to the Inside Politics podcast from the Irish Times. I'm Hugh Linehan. I was joined for today's podcast by Pat Leahy and Sarah Barden from our political staff. And not surprisingly, we were talking about the Eighth Amendment. Pat, the Taoiseach statement on Monday wouldn't come as a surprise to anybody, but I suppose it's worth saying that it did have the sense of a historic moment, and it was phrased that way by him as well. Yeah, I think it was quite consciously set up as a moment. I mean, I don't know how contrived the late night was. Presumably it would not have been beyond the wit of man for the cabinet to have met earlier and to have concluded their business uh, in time for, uh, you know, in in time for the Taoiseach to make his statement at a time when most of the uh, country wasn't preparing to go to bed. But Or um, trying to get a newspaper away. Uh, more to the point, uh, perhaps. Uh, but then again, I suppose we're always guilty of uh, projecting our concerns onto the um, uh, onto everybody else. But yeah, no, I I, I think that um, I think that it was a signal moment. It was deliberately designed. Even the language of the Taoiseach's speech was perhaps slightly self consciously. Uh, uh, weighty and, and and you know perhaps I think certainly a lot of people thought it was fitting uh, fitting to the moment. A lot of people were very impressed by it on the on, people, on the repeal side, obviously. Uh, a lot of people were very impressed with it. A lot of people, I think, uh, saw it as it was intended. And this is one of the things that I suppose those of us who watch politics very closely must always remember that not everybody watches it as closely as we do, and very few people, in fact, do. So they are coming to this without the the jaded eyes and ears that uh, that we sometimes do. And for them, here was the Taoiseach uh, speaking directly, really, to the country and saying something that, I think, in fairness, it would have been unimaginable uh, for any Fine Gael or Fianna Fáil Taoiseach uh, to have said until the very recent past. And that struck a chord with people. And albeit that the campaign has, in effect been underway for some time now. I think when we look back, we will see this as maybe the, the starting, official starting, the, the starting point of the campaign. Sarah, were you impressed by the speech? Um, I, it was kind of funny because of the timing of, of the press conference. You know, you didn't really, normally at these events, you kind of you sit back and take in the moment and, as Pat says, observe and analyse afterwards. But because it was so, it was so late, I think his delivery of the speech itself wasn't the best. But when you read it, it's a remarkable speech, but its delivery was quite poor. Um, There was a bit of like dramatics that were kind of enforced upon us, you know, the late night press conference, the late night cabinet meeting that could have easily been held as an early morning cabinet meeting or an early afternoon. It was really to add to the theatrics of the whole thing. Um, and I know actually having spoken to people within RTE, the amount of people who watched it live on RTE News Now was quite remarkable, um, especially for the, the time of night. It was a pivotal moment in the campaign. And as Pat said, if you had have asked us a year ago whether uh, the leader of the government would be able to come out and state that he would support 
not only repealing the Eighth Amendment, but allowing for abortions up to 12 weeks and have the unanimous support of the Cabinet to repeal the Eighth Amendment. I think that that's a position that was unimaginable for so long. And I mean, when you, th- when you think of just back in 2013, you know, the self-flagellation and the real political difficulty within Fine Gael at that time, leading to the departure, you know, the, the, the departure from the party of a number of people, most notably Lucinda Creighton. It, it's an astonishing move in quite a short period of time. Well, we might dig in in, in in a little while into what the actual, the, the range of views are within uh, Fine Gael and the Fine Gael Parliamentary Party. But before before we leave the speech, I mean, it did strike me, it was, as Sarah says, Pat, the delivery perhaps wasn't 100%, but reading it on paper or on a screen later, it's very interesting, the phrasing in it. It's totally focused on the experiences, lived experiences of Irish women as they've been and as they are and the reality of that right now. And it's a it's a different way of talking about this subject than we've heard from Taoiseach, Taoiseach or, or indeed leaders of most of the large political parties before. I, I think I think this is the big difference and make reference uh, to it in a piece in today's paper. If you look at the, you know, the content of those speeches, not just the Taoiseach's, but Micheál Martin's in the Dáil previously, but also of the more general uh, content and tone of the debate thus far and compare it to previously. Very few people, apart from campaigners on that side, certainly at, a, at, at the political level, which is where we see most of the debate at the moment, very few people are talking about the unborn. Whereas the unborn were previously the focus of many of these public debates. What people are talking about now is the position of women, the experiences of women, the rights uh, of women and the wishes of women. And that, I think, is more than just... I mean, you, you know, you can talk about the individual arguments that have been put forward by either side, but I think that is something much bigger. It's, it's an overall frame and an overall context for the campaign and as long as it stays the same and I think it most likely will it hands I think a significant advantage to the repeal but side. But Sarah then is is that from the point of view of the retain the aid side is the key objective to reframe that uh, that framing which Pat has just described back on to the issue of the, of the unborn? Well yeah I mean initially the debate has primarily been focused on the issue of disability and we saw yesterday um, elements of the anti-abortion side um, you know bring forward individual cases of children with Down syndrome to um, highlight their opposition to the Eighth Amendment being removed from the Constitution. That's where the debate has been up to now. But as Pat said, the politicians are trying to shape it into the reality of the situation at present. So Simon Harris in his speech in the dolls, you know, individually listed by county, by age, the number of women that have that travelled to the United Kingdom for terminations in 2016. In his speech, Michal Martin referred to um, individual cases of women approaching him when they've been the victim of rape and incest and when they've re- received a diagnosis of a fatal fetal abnormality. And Leo Varadkar, again, the delivery is quite poor, but when you read the speech, I think the one the thing that struck me was we need to stop exporting our problem and importing our solution with regards to the abortion the abortion pills being accessible over the internet and really the government is trying to make this about rare safe that rare safe legal phrase however i think as we get into the uh, the trust of a referendum campaign um, the issues of disability and the rights of the unborn will start to be raised again. And 
Um, Simon Coveney, the Taunashta, who is a, in favour of repeal but opposing the 12 week proposition, you know, is starting to shape the debate slightly towards back to the rights of the unborn. He said that he believes that the state should give um, the fetus up to 12 weeks and post 12 weeks the same the same rights uh, and that should be defined in law. Um, Michael Creed says the same uh, today as does uh, Dennis Nocton too. So, you know, we're coming back into that that phrase. So that's that's the the overall, I mean, aside from the individual arguments about disabilities and that, that is, you know, the overall frame of the argument is the really important thing because, uh, you know, it's stated in black and white in the Constitution at the moment that the unborn has equal rights to the the woman. If, if, If that... If that becomes... If that... The rights of the unborn as currently expressed in our laws, pushes aside the focus on the rights and the interests of women, then that is obviously to the advantage of the retained uh, retained side. One of the things that's interesting to me about that is it it appears that there's a substantial block emerging in Fine Gael and quite possibly within Fianna Fáil as well, who are essentially are likely to take a position which is Yes, uh, we need to, the time has come. We need to remove this uh, this amendment from the constitution and liberalise laws. But no, we are probably not going to be in favour of the legislation which which the current government plans or proposes to introduce following the repeal of the Eighth Amendment. And that will be quite certainly in parliamentary terms. That looks it will be quite a substantial number. Oh, uh, I, I I think it will. And you know we're, we're we'll be trying to do a count on this uh, over the course of the coming days and weeks Harry but he was ringing around yesterday he was yeah and his piece is in uh, in today's paper and uh, the general sense uh, which is all i suppose we can go on at this stage but th- is that there will be very significant opposition to 12 weeks in the doll and 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 certainly no guaranteed majority for uh, for a, a bill which would uh, which would implement the, hmm. the committee's proposals and the 12 weeks proposal. However, what I think people are missing in that is how the context, the political context, will be altered if the referendum is passed. So after four months of a referendum campaign uh, in which that 12 weeks proposal and the, the, the committee's recommendations are central to the debate, if that is passed by the electorate, I think it would be very difficult for TDs to stand against that, irrespective of what their personal well, what's views What's your read on that, sir? Well, I have been following, obviously, this quite closely, and there's a number of pieces of phrase, phrases and pieces of language that people are using, and the, it's, I'm, I'm labelling them as the step too far brigade, because every time um, you, you pose this question to a politician, they say, well, we're in favour of change, but we believe that the, um, the current proposition is a step too far. So people like leading figures in Fianna Fáil, Michael McGrath, um, in, in Fine Gael, Simon Coveney, within Independence, um, the Minister for Communications, Dennis Nocton. This is, I suppose, a coming together from individual parties, but they're all of the same view. So they tell you that they're in favour of change and they're in favour of terminations in certain circumstances and they note rape, incest and fatal fetal abnormalities. But I think as we get into the thrust of a campaign, something that those people will have to answer is how exactly do you legislate for those cases? And in a way, because we're not really in the thrust of a referendum campaign and we've got this sort of drip feed of information with regards to who stands 
where and we're trying to analyse whether they're in favour of repeal, whether they're in favour of 12 weeks, where they stand. We're not really, you know, getting to the political sure, element of it. but that's going to so. be really interesting, isn't it? Because what we've seen uh, both at the Oireachtas Committee and before that um, at, um, at the Assembly, uh, at the constitutional debates, was that some people probably had their, their mind changed when they were actually confronted with the reality of what it might mean to try and allow for terminations of pregnancies because of abortion or incest or various other, other reasons. And hence, they came over. They, they they came over to agreeing to this twelve week. Yeah, thing. so it'd be very interesting to see what proposals the politicians you've referred to will. And, and the, the thing is that that they have. they say that they acknowledge how the difficulty in legislating for it. You know, mm-hmm. Tom O'Malley gave a presentation to the Oireachtas Committee. He's a law lecturer in NUI Galway, but he, he basically said there is no possibility you would you would have to prove that a woman has been the victim of either rape or incest. And if that woman decides that she would like to take a criminal charge, if she you know, tries to take a case against her rapist or um, her alleged attacker, that if you provide a termination on that basis, then the person that you're making the accusation against isn't going to get a fair trial because somewhere in the health system, someone has decided that you have been the victim of rape. Mm-hmm. So everyone acknowledges the difficulties in legislating for it, but they're proposing that this is the way forward. So, you know, Simon Coveney, Michael McGrath, Jim O'Callaghan, Dennis Nocton, and plenty of others, by the way, but just so kind of leading figures um, in politics at present need to offer an explanation as to what exactly they are proposing. So if they're in favour of the repeal and they're in favour of terminations in those circumstances, then what exactly is your proposal? Because, you know, we're getting into crunch decision time now. The Minister for Health, Simon Harris, is to bring a uh, what he calls a policy paper to cabinet on February 28th, outlining where the government is going, and so it's now down to those politicians in that in the meantime to offer an explanation or give a clear indication as to what exactly they think should happen. Because I think, I, I think that's uh, I think that's right, and you know there will be an obligation on them. I mean there are different models uh, for this, but I think the point that somebody was. Yeah, familiar with it was making to me earlier is that you know none of them would be uh, would be publicly or politically acceptable, but uh, I think what what Sarah says indicates the extent to which a lot of this debate will be about the details of that uh, of that legislation. Exactly what is the alternative framework for abortion laws in Ireland? And you know the Taoiseach said at his press conference the other night that this. You know, the campaign will not be about or the referendum will not be about 12 weeks. I think a lot of it will. I think a lot of it will be about the alternative, the proposed alternative framework. And that's why the publication of the heads of that bill will be, I think, possible probably the next big important moment and in how this. how do you see this substantial block of politicians who have this yes repeal the 8th but no we're not happy with this legislation. How do you see them, what do you see their role being within the campaign itself? Do you see them being active or passive? I think it will depend on individual politicians. Some of them have no stomach really to be getting involved in public debates uh, on this. Others will feel an obligation to it. Certainly uh, you know the debate in media terms, have been led by politicians. Thus far, you know, you saw two TDs, uh, Kate O'Connell from Fine Gael and Danny Healy-Ray from uh, the Independent TD, Danny Healy-Ray, d- discussing or uh, debating the issue on primetime uh, last night. I think, though, as the campaign develops, politicians will become less important in it. I think the advocacy groups 
and campaigners will uh, will become more central to uh, to the debates. And you mentioned Danny Healy Ray, and it's not. I mean, we, we should acknowledge the fact that I mean, among politicians, there's also a substantial number of people who either want to retain the eight or perhaps uh, or to not to entirely remove it. I was listening to, I think it was Derek Caleri in the last 24 hours and basically it seemed to me that he was saying that he didn't want to remove all protections for unborn from the constitution. So he wanted some amendment um, unspecified. Yeah, and that's actually following the debate last week. That seems to be, there seems to be a number of Fianna Fáil TDs that think likewise. Darrell Bryan um, was another person who said that, you know, he was deeply uncomfortable with removing the constitutional right of the unborn, but accepted that there should be an amendment to the Eighth Amendment to allow for abortions in certain circumstances. Again, these uh, TDs, I suppose, are not putting forward a political reality in a sense. They acknowledge that they think that there has to be change but they don't provide an explanation as to how that change would be provided for. And I think as we get into the thrust of the campaign properly, um, that those things will start to materialise or certainly there'll be pressure on people to produce answers. But I, I, I don't think politicians will play a significant role in the referendum campaign, but they will their comments and their performance on media and in local media and I suppose when they're in their constituencies will feed into the mind of individual constituents. So if you have Michael McGrath who you are a supporter of or you're an admirer of talk like he did on Sean O'Rourke in such a calm and reasoned fashion about his concerns, that starts to, I suppose, seep into people's radar and they start to, you know, to take on board what he's saying mm. and there's you know you could be coming from one position and he comes along and raises doubt and so um, I don't think they'll play a leading role but I do think that their comments now and in the cor- in the run up to the referendum campaign will, will be significant To what extent rumors. do you think the geographical divide which is I think already apparent at, at cabinet level um, is likely to be a factor in the campaign and the vote in that uh, uh, nearly all prominent Dublin politicians, with the exception of, I think you mentioned Jim McCallaghan, seem, seem to be on board with this. But once you venture outside the, the pale, uh, there's a lot more opposition. Yeah, but I mean, our opinion poll uh, last week suggested that there isn't as much of a rural-urban divide as people anticipate. And indeed, there's not much of a... Uh, gender or age divide. I mean, it seems that um, in every par- in every political party, like the ones that we speak about quite le- regularly, Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil, 49% of Fianna Fáil voters were in favour of repealing the Eighth Amendment and allowing for abortions up to 12 weeks. I think it was 59 for Fine Gael. Fine Gael. That's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. Now, th- there is something of, uh, and actually for the first time in, in the in last week's poll, which I suppose crystallised question for a lot of people, there is um, what we hadn't seen before, which was uh, the beginnings of a gender divide. There's a bit of an urban-rural divide, divide, and, uh, and and there is something of a difference. You know, not not perhaps but decisive. Not as vast but as people have, you know, not we, as vast as as, as, as a lot of people think. Uh, that's correct. I mean, I think another kind of dynamic talking about politicians in this poll or in this um, uh, in this campaign will be whether, uh, you know, there's a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of calls from uh, the pro-repeal side uh, for people to trust women. I think a certain part of the of this uh, campaign will be about whether people trust politicians. And you see people from uh, the anti-abortion, pro-life side are banging on this drum and I think will be throughout the campaign. And to what Don't extent, trust the politicians. To what extent to, are they aided and abetted in, in that strategy 
by the decision to add new wording to the Constitution rather than simply remove the existing Eighth Amendment. In other words, to explicitly say, we're putting this into the hands of the Oireachtas. Does that offer uh, an opening to the uh, to the retained side to say, see, you're giving power to politicians. You don't trust politicians. You shouldn't trust them. I'm not sure it will, or is to it be just honest, a semantic, because... semantic quibble? Uh, because if it is, you know, I mean, it, it will be entirely apparent during the campaign that legislation will, if the referendum is passed, that legislation will follow. And the Oireachtas are the people who seen, do, although who do the legislation. Although we've in the past with, you know, referendums on, on Oireachtas committees and their, and their yeah. powers, that the electorate can be persuaded that it's not a good idea to take to trust too much power away from the courts and ex- give it to politicians. Exactly. Except the... Um, yeah, I, I think it will be a substantial part of this campaign from the retain side uh, that politicians cannot be trusted to, uh, uh, you know, to, to legislate yeah. on this. And that, if you think about, you know, the kind of current political age we live in, which is highly distrustful of political elites, also media elites, perhaps. Uh, I, I think that could be quite a powerful trope. At the same time, we elect politicians to legislate. It uh, would appear to be a peculiar, uh, it would be a peculiar thing if um, if the country decides that politicians cannot be trusted, can be trusted to legislate on other things, but not on and this. And in relation to all that, sir, I want to ask you, there's something I think Pat refers to it in his, in his article uh, this morning, which is we're very focused on this, on the 12 weeks. And uh, as, as Pat says, I think, this morning, that covers the vast majority of terminations which currently take place in Ireland, or indeed in, in, in most countries. They're, they're before the 12-week mark. But the, the question about, for example, disabilities and people choosing to have a termination because of a, because of a, fe- of a fetal disability. Um, you took up Pater Tobin on this in, this in this very studio only a couple of weeks ago and pointed out you know, that the, the way that the timings work on these kind of things in terms of being able to get a diagnosis. But in relation to that some on the retain the aid side have are, are suggesting, or I've seen them suggesting that post twelve weeks it will be possible, depending upon what the wording of the legislation is, for somebody to claim that that the uh, giving birth to a disabled child and and being responsible for that child will be an intolerable cause intolerable mental health or other other health issues, and that, and that that's what will end up end up happening. Does that? Is there still a kind of a key element then of this jigsaw in relation to that as to how um, restrictive or liberal that legislation is going to be? Yeah, I think the legislation will be crucial in that regard. I mean, the first thing to say about the disability issue is, you know, Peter Boylan, the chair of the Institute of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, has made it clear that while it is technically possible to uh, identify a fetal abnormality prior to 12 weeks, it rarely is done in Ireland and um, it's virtually impossible. But the retain the eighth side will argue that a woman could argue that her mental health is at risk um, on the on the basis that she has received a diagnosis of a fetal abnormality. Um, and so, yes, the legislation will be crucial in this regard, but I think it will mirror what the Protection of Life During Pregnancy Act says, which essentially, you know, if a, if a woman um, presents with pseudo-suicidal ideation and suggests that she want, wants a termination on that basis, she is then assessed by two um, clinicians and then they make a decision. If the decision um, is one that the, the woman argues 
against, she can appeal it to another, uh, to clinicians. And I think that's essentially what will happen in this case too. So we won't have a situation, for example, as in the UK, where, where where those restrictions are not in place and it is possible to make an, ar- an argument of that sort in relation to the mental health of the mother? No, I think if, you know, the Oireachtas Committee recommendations were quite clear and the government has said that they're proceeding on the basis of the Oireachtas Committee recommendations, which is that a fetal abnormality is not a sufficient uh, grounds for a termination. And I think when the legislation is produced, the safeguards with regards to this particular issue will be will be outlined. Well, I suppose well, they will have to be outlined because this is something that the retain side will argue um, in the course of a referendum campaign. But my understanding is, is with regards to um, the health of a mother and with regards to the mental health of a mother, it will mirror the Protection of Life During Pregnancy Act. And as we know, um, there was claims in the course of the debate on that piece of legislation that the floodgates would open because women would present constantly with um, suicidal tendencies seeking a termination. And only 26 since uh, every year, 26 women have sought a termination under the Protection of Life During Pregnancy Act um, in 2013 up till uh, up to this year now so I think as Peter Boylan said to me over the course of the weekend you know whilst they're you know the retain the eighth side will argue as you rightly suggest that a woman may use her mental health or the distress to her mental health as a, a grounds for a termination um, I think you know Peter Boylan's point was if if we if we copy the debate in the Protection of Life During Pregnancy Act with suicide and we copy the debate here mental health Down syndrome it just it, it never materialised, and in his eyes, it, he doesn't see it materialising in the in the aftermath of the referendum campaign. I thought there was um, perhaps an interesting. I was pointed out in today's paper, perhaps an uh, an interesting aspect of what the Taoiseach said the other night. The the report of the committee uh, talks about after twelve weeks that you know a, a sufficient grounds for abortion would be uh, in case of fatal fetal abnormalities are a a threat to. Uh, the life or health of the woman, and no distinction would be made between um, uh, between physical and mental health. But the Taoiseach, in his speech the other night, talked about a serious threat to the life or uh, our health that's significant? of the woman. I think it may be, and I think these are the sort of things that the legislation will have to tease out, and will have to be clear about in advance of uh, of the referendum, because every because opponents. Of uh, of the change will quite justifiably, from their point of view, use any of these uncertainties to cast uh, to cast doubt on uh, on the proposal as a whole. And you know, we must always remember that this is a political campaign. The guys in the middle who lean one way, maybe at times, and lean another way, uh, will be the people who decide it. Not the convinced thirty or forty percent on either side but the chunk in the middle. Yeah, That's th- who the arguments are directed I think at. if you, uh, currently, because we're working off the basis of the Oireachtas Committee recommendations, their wording is quite vague because it was up to the government as they saw it to draw up the legislation. So in the instance of a he- health of a mother, um, that is something that will be used in the course of a referendum campaign unless it's clarified quite prescriptively in the policy paper that Simon Harris, what exactly is, you know, when exactly can a termination um, be provided when a mother's health is at risk? You know, what do we determine as a mother's health being at risk? So, you know, we're kind of working in a vacuum in a, in a way now. And I think because the referendum campaign has begun, um, the opponents to any change see these 
I suppose, loop or these gaps in uh, in the debate and they will zone in on them. And I think it's time, you know, the government will be under pressure really to uh, fill those holes as soon as possible. Finally, guys, I want to ask both of you, how do you think this is going to play out now? I mean, for months, if not years around this office, people have said, oh, God, this thing is coming down the line. It's going to be so grim. There's going to be personal attacks. It's going to be really vicious. People recalling that, you know, uh, I'm old enough to recall the misery of the 1983 campaign, which You're is pretty, a lot older than pretty, us, pretty unpleasant. Course, yeah. I'm, I'm as old as the two of you put together, probably. Um, and, and it was pretty grim. And I, I noticed um, Miriam Lord in, in her piece today saying it's all very quiet. And, you know, people are issuing these measured statements and they're taking everybody into account and they're being very respectful. Um, is that likely to continue or is it For the first dirty? time in my life, I am going to disagree with Miriam Lord, but I, I, I don't <laughs> want you to tell her. Um, <laughs> she never I, listens. I okay. don't think it's quiet at all. Um, actually, I think what's happening is the uh, anti-abortion side have a, a very strong on-the-ground campaign, whereas the repeal side have a very strong national media campaign and a less, you know, a less effective one on the ground. So, for example, um, you know, friends of mine have had door-to-door um, pro, uh, pro-life, pro anti-abortion members come to their door to convince them of their argument. Um, and they have been an, in Dundrum Shopping Centre at the weekend with... That's where Bill, Sarah's friends all hang out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if only you know. Um <laughs> The treat for my friends to go to Dundrum Shopping Centre, but these pictures, these graphic images, um, you know, when we had them outside this office yesterday. Exactly, yeah. they have an effective um, campaign, and and bear in mind, and this is why I think this one could be slightly different to the nineteen eighty three one in the sense that it, it's sort of a last throw of the dice for the anti abortion. Um, you know, if if the Eighth Amendment is removed from the Constitution and you hand the uh, power to the Oireachtas, the pro-life, anti-abortion, they've lost they've lost their fundamental argument. And so I think when you get into, into the thrust of this referendum campaign, they will throw all their might, all their money, all their resources. This is their Stalingrad. Yeah, essentially. And where, where uh, Miriam... <laughs> much and all as I love her, um, I don't think quite, quite grasps that because we're looking at it from a national political uh, perspective. And when you mention the word abortion to a politician, he'll run, he or she will, you know, almost run the other way. But in the in the on the ground, the anti-abortion side are working very hard and, you know, influencing um, as best as they possibly can. Pat, what do you think? Uh, I think it will be a long and bitter and difficult uh, campaign. I think that's all right. I think it's a fundamental issue for uh, uh, for Ireland to to decide upon, and um, and you know these that that is the nature of these uh, of these campaigns. I was struck by a piece in our paper yesterday from a gentleman whose name uh, escapes me and uh, and I wouldn't try to pronounce anyway but he was making the point you know that there are uh, various steps to having a civilised debate on this I, I think you could um, I, I think you could summarise I think you could summarise his, his piece into, into one sentence which was which is that people should accept that People of goodwill uh, and decency may have a different uh, view to you. 
Um, and everybody involved in the campaign says that they uh, they, they accept this, but uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure that they really do. When people say we need to have uh, a civilized debate, uh, they often mean everybody needs to agree with me. When they say this needs to be based on the facts, they mean those facts that uh, that I select. And when they say uh, you know we won't respond to the abuse of the other side, uh, they mean that uh, we'll abuse them uh, insofar as we uh, in, insofar as we can so I think it will be uh, it will be pretty hairy but uh, you know I think we'll, 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 we'll I, get I, over I just it. say anyway, that that gentleman's name is Alberto Giubilini and it is actually a very good piece and people can find it on the irishtimes.com website under the opinion tab and that's it for today's edition thanks very much to Sarah and Pat and to our producer Jennifer Ryan and our engineer JJ Vernon remember that you can subscribe to us on iTunes or whatever your preferred podcast provider is and you can find us at irishtimes.com slash podcasts uh, always interested in hearing your views you can get me at hlinehan at irishtimes.com or you can find me on Twitter but until the next time goodbye and thanks very much indeed for listening <laughs>